Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. We're in week three of a message series called Follow Me, where we've been focusing on this invitation from Jesus to follow him. In the first week, we talked about this. We talked about the fact that we all have to move beyond belief. We have to, that's where we start, but that's not where we're supposed to end. We ultimately have to transition from belief into following him because that was Jesus's invitation. Come and follow me. And last week, we talked about what that means. One of the things that it means to follow Jesus is to join him in serving. That was not exciting for some people. It's not exciting to think that sometimes the truth is, is (laughs) we like to follow people on social media, but it costs us nothing to do that. And a lot of times we can approach Jesus that way, thinking that if we were to follow him, it would not cost us anything. Well, that is exactly the opposite of what would would happen if you choose to follow him. So if you follow Jesus, you are signing up to serve. And so we're in this series, and I want to kind of just put a a theme over it all. Jill kind of hit it, but if if you follow Jesus, that means that you are signing up to be discipled by him. Discipled. Discipleship. So what does that look like? Number one, it looked like serving. By the way, at the back table, the other back table, I'm just going to put tables everywhere, you know, (laughs) But at that back table, there's opportunities to serve. And one of the things that we emphasized last week is this. If you choose to follow Jesus, you cannot act like a need that you can meet doesn't exist. You have to say, okay, if there's a need, I'm willing to step up and serve in that area. And so there's needs here in the church. So what does it mean to follow him? It means to become a disciple. It means that you are immediately obedient. Jesus said, come right now. Come right now. Now that is important because I emphasized it week one. There is a gravitational pull on your soul to not follow him. Whenever you think about it, and you vacillate about it, and you consider it, often what happens is you don't move. I love, there's another commercial, I might have said it week one, but this is a commercial that Nike said, or they had a phrase that said, yesterday you said tomorrow. And often when we wait and we linger, we don't move. So it's immediate obedience. It means to also come and serve. And for the sake of today's message, Jesus' invitation to come and follow him was also an invitation to come and, and learn. Come and learn from me. What do I mean? To accept Jesus' invitation to follow him means that you enter into a relational dynamic with him where Jesus is your teacher and you are his student. It is a teacher-student relationship. We see this evidenced multiple times in Scripture. One of the ways we see it evidenced is that Jesus' followers called him rabbi. Okay, rabbi 
is simply a Hebrew word for teacher. We see that multiple times through scripture. Much of what is recorded in the gospels by his disciples is his teaching. The thing about Jesus that you have to understand is Jesus never wasted his words. Everything that the authors of the gospels recorded that Jesus said is meant to be used as teaching. Everything. Jesus was so calculated with what he said. Okay, if Jesus was alive today, he probably would not post on social media all the time. Because there was always a weight to his words. He didn't fly off the handle. Every single thing Jesus spoke was by intention as a teacher so that he could teach his students. That's why there's nothing recorded of what Jesus has said in scripture that has not been used in a sermon or message. Throughout the ages, every single thing Jesus spoke that's recorded in scripture has been used in a message before. Jesus was a rabbi, but here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a rabbi among others. Jesus was the rabbi. The rabbi, and this is important. When the disciples accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him, in doing that, they were agreeing that Jesus would be their exclusive teacher. He wasn't one among many. He was the one that they would choose to learn from. Now, one of the questions that we have to consider in our own lives, is Jesus just a teacher among others? What do I mean? Is Jesus your exclusive rabbi or one among many? Is Jesus' teaching one among other influencers in your life or is his teaching preeminent in your life? Let me give it a more specific. Is Jesus grouped among other people who have influence in your life? Is it Jesus and the news? Is it Jesus and Jordan Peterson? Is it Jesus and Ben Shapiro? Is it Jesus and Joe Rogan? Jesus and Dave Ramsey? Jesus and Glenn Beck? Jesus and political pundits? Is he grouped up and lumped up in, with all of these other influences or is he preeminent? Dina, did it get quiet? Because it's really easy to have other rabbis. Is he the preeminent, the exclusive teacher? Why does that matter? That matters because Paul said that a time would come when people will stray from Jesus being their exclusive teacher and will be drawn to teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Paul said this in 2 Timothy, look at this. For the time will come, let me, t let me tell you, that's not in the future, y'all. That's right now. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, what will they do? They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. 
they will gather other rabbis to themselves and say, I'm giving you permission to have influence over my life. And every time you gather, you push Jesus out. Is he the preeminent rabbi in your life? For the first disciples, Jesus was the only one. And there was plenty of people. Uh, one of the things you have to remember about rabbis is that rab rabbis actually, when they were in training, they had to gain an audience. So they would go out in the public squares, stand on a platform, and they would teach. And they would teach in a way that was eloquent and convincing and try to, trying to gain followers. And so what you have to understand is when the disciples were going with Jesus throughout Israel, they were going to cross paths with rabbi after rabbi after rabbi, telling and sharing something else, trying to gain more followers. And as they followed Jesus, they had to turn their ears off to what other people would say and say, no, I'm going to be faithful to this rabbi. He's the preeminent teacher in my life. So what did Jesus teach them? Well, among other things, number one, we talked about this last week, Jesus taught them a new way of life. He modeled it to them. Remember, come to me, watch me, work with me, watch how I do it. He was modeling the way that human beings are supposed to live. The second thing is this, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever actually paid attention to this, but do you know that phrase never, never shows up in the Old Testament? The kingdom of God, you cannot find it anywhere in the Old Testament, that phrase. What does that mean? That means that Jesus was teaching something new. Okay, one of the, uh, one of the ways that Jesus, when it says Jesus taught in the New Testament, it's the word didactic didactic and what that means is that it, it literally means this he was instilling new doctrine so when Jesus was teaching he was teaching them something that they had never heard before the kingdom of God was not a a framework of their understanding ever before how many of times in the New Testament can you see those disciples who recorded Jesus's teaching saying stuff like the kingdom of God is like. He was teaching them about the kingdom. Number three, Jesus came to teach who God is completely. Jesus is the final revelation of God. Paul warned about this in Galatians. He said, if someone comes to you, whether it be a person or an angel, and tries to convince you otherwise of what I showed you, let them be cursed. Because Jesus is the complete revelation of God. He came to reveal the Father. Number four. Oh, this one's so good. I love Jesus taught them the truth. John 14, 6, I am the way, we talked about that last week. I am the truth, and I am the life. What does that word truth in the original language mean? It means this. Man, it's so good. 
what I teach is objectively true in any situation, circumstance, culture, or age. When Jesus said, I'm the truth, he was saying, what I said and is recorded in scripture 2,000 years ago is true 2,000 years later. Jesus was not teaching to be relevant. He was teaching something that would stand the test of time. The truth that I deliver is still true no matter what age we live in. No matter how, how much culture shifts. No matter, no matter how much we think what Jesus taught was irrelevant. It's still true. It is objectively true. Number five, Jesus helped them understand the scripture that they were already familiar with. These disciples did not have the New Testament. They were living it. All they had was the first half of the book. How many times did you see Jesus say this? You have heard it said but I say to you. The whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus referencing two things, Old Testament scripture and Old Testament law and something called the Talmud. The Talmud was a, a, a grouping, a, a, it was um, Jewish literature that the rabbis would teach to teach lessons. And if, do you ever remember when Jesus would go into the synagogue and he would say stuff and it would, be, it would be awing and shocking to them, and they would say, what authority do you have to say what you just said? Anybody remember that? You know why they said that? Because he was sharing Talmud stories and then changing them up. Uh, the last time I heard that story, that's not how the end went. How do you have the authority? Because I'm the one who authored the universe. I can flip the script. I can change things up a little bit. And they said, what authority do you have? <laughs> and then he sat on the empty chair in the synagogue. The chair that was reserved for the Messiah. And they're like, mm, he about to die now. He was helping them understand the scripture they already were familiar with. So this is what Jesus was teaching as their exclusive rabbi. So we see this teacher-student dynamic in how his father's ref uh, followers referred to Jesus as rabbi, but also by what the word disciple means. This is so important. And this is probably going to rub some people the wrong way, but that is totally fine with me. Jesus didn't just want to be a teacher he wanted his followers to be learners. That's why Jesus' invitation to come and follow was an invitation not to come and be taught. It was come to learn. John chapter 8, verse 31, listen to what Jesus says. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him. Okay, let's stop right here. Remember, we ultimately have to transition from being a believer into what? A follower. Thank you, Betty. She's got the notes in the sound booth. 
cheater. We start at belief, but that's not where we're supposed to end. So what is Jesus doing here? He was, he was inviting them into discipleship. So Jesus was saying to those who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. Let me just make it real plain. If you don't continue in his word, how are you his disciples? If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. They could only call themselves disciples if they continued in his word. This is what it meant when he said, come and follow me. It was come and learn. The word disciple in the Greek is the word methades. It simply means one who learns. Now, this is an important distinction. Listen to me this morning. A disciple is one who learns, not just one who's taught. There is a massive difference between those two things. Because everybody is taught, but not everybody learns. Let me talk about it. How many of you went to high school and all your friends were like, that teacher doesn't teach anything? Man, that teacher is trash. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even teach me anything. And yet, in the classroom, somebody's getting an A. You mean you went and they did not teach you anything? Everybody is taught, but not everybody learns. Here's the problem. The problem for why often people are not learning from their teacher is they're putting all of the responsibility on the teacher to teach them. Oh, you forgot your role? You mean you just want to sit there and be spoon-fed? You don't want to put forth any effort? Let me just talk real quick about what Paul said in Hebrews. I believe it was Hebrews. He said, by now, royal, he said, by now some of you should be what? Huh? Some of you should be teachers, but you still need milk. Why do you still need milk? Because you're not accepting your role in being a disciple. You just want someone to give you a bottle, make sure it's warm, and let me lay down, and you feed me. He said, you should actually be chewing meat, but I got to give you milk still? You know why people like milk? Because they don't want to use their mouth muscles. Meat requires chewing. He said, no, 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 no. If you're going to be a disciple, you're one who learns, not someone who's just being taught. There is a difference. What they fail to understand is that learning is a two-way street. Just because you are taught doesn't mean you will learn. Often the reason why people don't learn what's being taught is because they put all of the responsibility on the teacher to teach instead of understanding that they have a role to play. Everybody is taught, but not everybody learns. Often what determines whether you learn or you're just being taught is how much you apply yourself to the experience of being taught. 
let me just say this. Like, if you just come and, and we put everything on the screen and you walk away and you put, no for, put forth no effort to digest what is being delivered every week, are you a disciple? Feed me. Mom, I'm hungry. Disciples embrace the role to learn. Jesus, by the way, this is not like, I'm not, does it sound like I'm going on a rant? Did I roll over on the wrong side of the bed this morning? I didn't. But you're actually going to see something quite radical from Jesus that would irritate you. Okay, listen. Jesus didn't want to just teach. He was looking for learners. So when Jesus was calling them to discipleship, it was understood that he was calling them to own their responsibility and role as a learner. Jesus' invitation to follow him was an invitation to a teacher-student relationship. Listen to me this morning. He was, he was interested. He was not interested in just teaching anybody. He was looking for people who were hungry to learn. You're about to see it. Let me share the story real quick. One day, a proud young man approached Socrates. You know who Socrates is? Look it up. And asked him to show him the path to wisdom. Socrates looked at the man and paused for a few moments, allowing him to become uncomfortable with the silence. He locked eyes with the young man and told him, meet me at the river at dawn, and he walked away. The next morning, the young man arrived at the river before dawn. Socrates soon walked down the path and slowly waded into the water, motioning for the man to join him. When the young man waded up to his chest, Socrates looked at him and said, what do you want? The young man said, to find wisdom. Socrates grabbed the man and began to drown him. He held him underwater for 20 seconds, then led him up and said, what do you want? The young man responded, to find wisdom. At that point, Socrates promptly submerged the man again into the water, holding him 30 seconds, then 40, then 50, and the man's face began to turn blue, unless he was doing breathing exercises by Gary Breck that Don Pritchard knows. But he started to turn blue. Then he pulled him up, and Socrates lifted the man up and said, What do you want? He said, Air! I want air! Socrates released the young man and said, when you want wisdom as much as you want air, then you'll have it. Jesus was looking for people who were hungry to learn. Jesus taught in a way that would divide those who just wanted to be taught from those who wanted to learn. Okay, Jesus taught primarily in parables. How many parables can you find in the scripture? The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. He would teach in these parables. What was a parable? A parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he would teach this way on purpose. He would purposefully speak in layers of meaning. Watch this. To draw those who wanted to further learn away from those who would have to, who would brace no ownership in what they were taught. So he would speak mysteriously in these parables. He'd be like, the kingdom of God is blah, 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 blah. 
peace. People would be like, what that mean? Some of them would be like, man, that was, that was kind of cool. And they just walk away. And it would seem like, Jesus, why wouldn't you make it clear to everybody? Why wouldn't you make it as clear as possible? Because he spoke in a way, spoke in a way to draw the learners, not just people who wanted to teach. Now watch this, Luke 8, 9, and 10. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And watch what he said. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it's just in parables. So that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. What? So you are purposely talking in a way that would not draw everybody to you. No, he was weeding out the people that just wanted to be spoon-fed. How, how do you know whether you just want to be taught or you want to learn? What questions do you ask? Jesus revealed why the mysteries of the kingdom were given to the disciples because of that first verse in verse 9. He said this, listen. He said, it says that the disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. What is a proof of discipleship? How many questions do you ask to truly want to understand what you're hearing? Do you just take it at face value? Or do you say, no, I want further clarity about this. Jesus was creating a dividing line between disciples who actually want to learn and people who just want to be taught. By the way, do you know those, those clowns in your classroom? that the teacher never taught them anything, probably never asked a question. They don't, just, they don't teach. I'm, I'm not even going to ask questions. They ain't going to, what are they going to say to me? A metric and a proof of your discipleship is how curious are you to understand what you're hearing. The disciples came to him and said, I'm not just going to take the parable at face value. What does this mean? That was, a, that was a way that they were divided from everybody else that just heard it and moved on. You know what that means? If you continue in my word, you are my disciples. They would hear what Jesus would say, and they're like, I'm not letting go of this until I understand it. Why would Jesus teach that way? I believe Jesus wanted to separate those who were hungry for truth from those who weren't. And here's why. Because the proof of your desire for anything is in your pursuit of it. Jesus didn't want people to just follow him. He wanted those who would hunger for his truth come and pursue him to experience more. Here's why. Because we know all of this. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Jesus, want, if you really want to follow me, come and learn. Show how hungry you are for what I am saying to you, that you don't just take it, but you come to me and say, I want more. 
Give me more explanation. Explain this to me. There's got to be a deeper meaning. I want to know it all. And he was dividing those in the group into two categories. Because disciples are not just taught, they come and learn. Here's why Jesus wanted disciples, because his followers were not just being taught by any man, they were being taught by God himself. And if you really want it, come and get it. Jesus knew that the words that he would teach were like any, unlike any other words that a man was going to teach. Look at what he said about the word of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Listen, the reason why this book is so valuable is because we were designed not to just live by bread alone. We are designed, we were created by God for our spirit to be healthy by eating this. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. John 1, John said, he is the word made flesh. This is so incredibly valuable. And I'm telling you, you cannot live on bread alone. Because God did not create you to live just on that. You've got to get this inside of you because you are spirit, soul, and body. And isn't it interesting that the time that Jesus said it, he wasn't even living on bread. When was he saying it, Jill? Oh, in the desert, where he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He had had no natural meal, but he was feeding himself on the word. I'm going to say this, I've said this a lot of times. Do you know that that scripture was not a new one? He was actually quoting Deuteronomy. So what was Jesus doing when he was going out without a meal? He was quoting what he was feeding his spirit with. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy is a word that God told Moses to write down. So in speaking it, he was eating it. All right, come on. John chapter 6, verse 63. The words that I give are spirit and life. They're life-giving and they're spiritual food for your spirit. When many of Jesus' followers, this is one of those moments where Jesus was like, okay, let's see if people really want to follow me. John chapter 6, one of my favorite passages. Jesus stands up in front of the masses and says, you know what? Today is a day where I'm going to gain a whole lot of followers. Okay, if you want to follow me, one of the ways you're going to follow me, Randy, is you're going to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Come on, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Have a good night, guys. What? What does that mean? Let me look that up in the New Living Translation. It didn't exist. He just left them with that and said, 
have a good night, guys. We'll see you later. And it says that it was such a radical statement that many who were following him walked away. <laughs> because remember, Jesus wants learners, not just people who want to be taught. If you want to learn, you're going to have to own your role to dig deeper into what Jesus has said. And so he shares this, and I love Jesus. He looks at the 12 disciples and he says, y'all want to leave too? Y'all want to leave too? I, look, I get it. I know that what, I know what I just said. Y'all want to leave too? Look at what Peter said. I love this. Where do I go? You alone have the words of life. I've never met anybody that has fed my spirit like you. Where else would I go? There is no other rabbi. There is no other teacher for my life that has transformed my life the way that you and your teachings have transformed it. Where do I go? He was hanging on to the words that Jesus would speak. The invitation to come follow Jesus was an invitation into a teacher-student relationship. And what that means was that as a disciple, it would be our responsibility to embrace our role in the learning process. You remember what Paul said? Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that's fit. Study to show yourself approved. A workman. So what does it look like to be a disciple today? That's, that's not just taught, but a student. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a student of God's word. Okay, let me just say this. How in the world would the disciples of Jesus be perpetuated on the earth through ages and generations had not the original disciples wrote down as much as they could remember of the teachings of Jesus? We cannot continue without his teachings. Do you know, this was a statistic, and I'll actually, if you ask me later, I'll print it off for you, that in... 2020, not with, along with a rapid decline in church attendance because of what happened, there was a rapid decline in actual Christians reading the Bible. It actually, there was this study concluded that 10% of Christians in, the, in the, the research that they did actually read the Bible once a week. 10%. Because as church attendance declines, so does reading his word. We become whoever we surround ourselves with. Why do we not forsake the fellowship? Because it is in the fellowship when we open up this book that we are encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go to the book for ourselves. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a student of his word. There's no other way to be discipled by Jesus than to be a student of his word. And if you say that I got the Holy Spirit, I don't need the book, book, you're a fruit loop. You're crazy. Because Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into everything that I spoke. How do you know what he spoke if you don't know the book? 
here's what I wa- where I want to close. I want to focus the rest of our message on giving you practical places or practical things to encourage you to be a reader and student of God's word. A lot of people, here's what I, re- I, here's what I realize. There's a lot of people that say, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a student of God's word. But make it make sense, Jesus. I don't know. I've tried. Okay, let me just encourage you. If you start with Genesis, don't. Because if you get to Leviticus, you will be done forever. Don't, you started in the wrong spot. This book is not something to read from the beginning to the end. In in order, order. Start with John. Start with the gospel. Let me encourage you. Start with Jesus. Here's why. Because Jesus told the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, yet they point to me. If you're going to be a student of his word, start with Jesus because he's ultimately the point of the rest of the book. Don't start with Genesis. You'd be like, this don't make any sense. Let me, let me, let me, let me encourage you with another thing. Don't, <laughs> don't test the Holy Spirit by just randomly, what is, like a horse charging into the battle. Holy Spirit, what does that mean? What are you doing? Y'all don't, Beth, when you go to Cheesecake Factory, you don't just, okay, I guess I'm eating that today. I've never seen someone consistent and faithful in studying the word of God that started just randomly. And every day it's just like, Lord, direct me. Y'all reading like you're Ray Charles or something like that. Um, 2 Kings 10, 1. Of course it's not making sense. You don't even have a plan. Some people say, I don't care. Some people say, it doesn't apply to me. It's a waste of time. It's confusing. It's boring, so I gave up. I want to, but I also don't know where to start. So let let me give you some uh, practical things. First of all, let me encourage you. If he can take fishermen and make them authors of books, he can transform you. Okay? Do you know the Gospels were written by fishermen? Do you know that fishermen were kind of on the lower end of the educational classes? If he can make fishermen author of books, he can help you out to understand it. But do you just want to be fed milk? Or do you actually want to do your work in being a student of his word? So five practical things. Number one, choose a translation that you can understand. Please help yourself. I break the, it's the King James or the highway in Jesus' name. Why? Why? Choose a translation you can understand, okay? That is, there's a broad spectrum. There's over 44 translations in the English of the Bible, okay? Let me show you this picture. This is, what you have to understand about translations is that it goes from most accurate to easiest to read, okay? Let's just, let's just acknowledge that we're blessed to live in a world that has 44 translations of the Bible, okay? The most accurate is the New American Standard. Now, what do I mean by accuracy? It's taking the Greek word in the New Testament and saying, what is the closest version in the English of that word 
and it literally goes word for word. But how many of you know foreign languages? Anybody? You know sentence structure is just a little bit different in, in other languages? So when you go word for word, sometimes the sentence structure is kind of like, uh, that don't even make sense in the way people talk today. Okay? On the other end is the easiest. Okay? Message translation. Paraphrase. It's like, <laughs> you know what the message is? Let me give you the summary real quick. Let me give you the cliff notes. Okay? That's, that's kind of the, the broadness. But choose one that's easiest for you to understand. The more accurate the translation, the more difficult to read because the sentence structure can be less modern. The easier the English translation, the tendency that it is to honestly be furthest away from the original meaning because words get lost in translation. Okay, so that's important. I'll just go a step further. If you want to truly be a student of God's word, get a paper version. Okay? If you just have it on an app, you can't highlight, you can't write down thoughts, you can't write down what God is speaking to you, you can't do any of that. Get an actual paper copy while they still exist. I'm not being like some paranoid guy. I'm just saying, while they still exist, get one. Number two. Choose a time, a place, and a plan to study. A time, a place, and a plan. Let me show you a picture. This is, this is where I, I read my Bible. Okay? And don't let the outside mess you up. That's about 5.45 in the morning. I don't even know what was bright. Maybe it was the glory. But that's where I read. That's my place. Choose a time, a place. Choose, choose a time where you got the most ability to focus. Some people are night owls. Some people are morning birds. Choose a time. If Jesus went away to be alone with the Father, what makes us think that we can't or that we shouldn't? You know what I love? There's an actual uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Jesus went away to a desolate place. Why did he go to a desolate place? He went to a desolate place, honestly, I believe, because there was just less distraction. There ain't nothing out here. Okay, choose a undistracted place. Choose the most desolate place. Let me be honest. If I'm really going to study my Bible and read my Bible and spend time in prayer, I got to leave my phone on my nightstand and go downstairs. Because you and I both know the moment that you start to start to pray, all these spontaneous thoughts come up. Every single one of them, I believe, is the enemy trying to sift you like wheat and pull you away from what your spirit needs. And let me tell you, some of them are really good thoughts. It takes discipline these days to find a place, have a time, and a plan. And as I said, choose a plan. Rarely does the random have fruit. Number three, seek to understand the context. You can apply that to everything in your life. You know, when someone says something that's offensive, do you understand the context? 
Do you know when you see, by the way, most of media is just lacking a whole lot of context to make you angry. Seek to understand the context. The gravest interpretations of scripture come from ignorance of context. Honestly, the worst. I've seen people argue against God on social media because they found one scripture that spoke to the opposite of what they want and they have no understanding of the context. And they're like, see, this is why God is not worthy of being followed because he's mean. No, you're stupid. You are a fool. You have found the one thing to justify and you have no idea of any context about what's going on around it. The gravest interpretations of scripture come from ignorance of context. Things get lost in translation. Help yourself out. Find a Strong's Concordance. If you need to know how to do that, come and help me, and I will help you navigate through a Strong's Concordance. Because let me just say, every Greek word meant multiple things. Every Hebrew word meant multiple things. And so there's things that get lost in translation when it gets translated to English. You just think it means one thing. It means multiple things. The Bible is a collection of 66 different books written in three languages across three continents over 1,500 years by 40 different people. That's context. And here's the other thing. It's not just one type of book. It's poems, prophecies, letters, laws, histories, biographies, written by people, inspired by God, telling one unified story that shows us our need for Jesus and teaches us to become like him. It's, there's so many different, okay? So here's some questions you should ask. Number one, who wrote it? Number two, who was he writing to? Number three, what is the purpose of the book? Okay, it's so important that you understand context. <laughs> By the way, some of the stuff that I spout out up here, I'm just going to be honest. Let me give you the secret. Some people come up to me and they'll be like, man, how did you know that background information? I rent the, I, I, uh, let me just, I read the info page before the book. <laughs> Man, he's so well studied. Or I just read the info page. And it gave me so much context. And then when I read, read a passage of scripture, I read the 10 before that and the 10 after that. And that gave me so much context. You know, so it's not hard. But are you just going to be one who's taught or one who learns? Okay? Number four, read slowly and ask questions. This is my favorite. Read slowly and ask questions. Quality is better than quantity. Don't get sucked into the cycle of a chapter, of, chapter a day. Let it go. You are doing yourself no favors if you don't mine each scripture for what God has to offer. Read slowly and ask questions. One of the factors that made the disciples, the disciples is their curiosity. They were driven to understand exactly what Jesus was saying. Look beyond the surface. Here's questions to ask. Is there a sin to be avoided here? Is there a promise to be claimed? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there something to know about God here? 
And here's another thing. Become self-aware of what you are thinking as you're reading. What are some of the things that are coming to mind as you read? Because if the Holy Spirit is reminding you of everything that Jesus taught, then there may be connections that are going on in your mind that the Holy Spirit is connecting to other things you've read to bring about the fullness of what he's trying to get you to understand from what you're reading. Here's another thought. If Jesus was with you, what would you ask him about the passage you read? Jesus, what does this mean? And lastly, pray for God to speak to you and apply what he shows you. Pray that he would speak and apply what he shows. Let me break off any religious spirit. Sometimes I read my Bible and he shows me nothing. And I say, is that what you wanted to show me? And I don't get an answer. And I'm like, okay, God, I trust this was good for me. To quote Bill Johnson, some of you guys don't, you forgot what you ate a week ago for breakfast, but you're still alive. (laughs) So even if you don't get the deepest, most magnificent revelation, your spirit is still alive. And what you ate fed it. Pray for God to speak to you. Rick Warren said the Bible should give us a bigger heart, not a bigger head. It's not about absorbing all this knowledge. It's about what God wants to do in your heart. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, let me give you an example of asking God to speak or reading the Bible. I was reading, I believe it was Philippians, the book of Philippians or the book of Acts. This was about two, three months ago. And Paul was talking about, he was talking about going back to Jerusalem and collecting an offering along his way to bring back to the Jerusalem leadership. I want to bring this because If it wasn't for the disciples in Jerusalem, all of these churches across Asia would not exist. And Paul was saying, I want to give honor where honor is due. I want want to bring this offering to the disciples in Jerusalem as an act of honor, saying thank you for being the origin of what has started. And we are byproducts of that. And I was reading that passage of Scripture And this is the thought that came to my mind. Do you see Redeemer's Church as an extension of the church in Jerusalem? Do you see that Redeemer's Church is here only because there were disciples of Jesus 2,000 years ago that sacrificed their life, laid their life on the line, and God did a work in the early church, and then that led to Paul, and Paul started to plant churches in Europe. And then that led to expansion in Africa. And then that led to expansion in Europe. And then that led to expansion in America. And even Redeemer's Church is a byproduct of the origin of the church in Jerusalem. So this is what the Holy Spirit challenged me with. What is Redeemer's Church's offering that they're sending back to Jerusalem? So I came to the elders a couple months ago and I said, we need to put in our missions budget and offering uh, in our missions aligned that we give 
consistently to missionaries in Israel because had it not been for Jerusalem, we wouldn't even be here. And so in March, we are going to start giving to a uh, missions organization that is boots on the ground in Israel that is sharing the gospel of Jesus with Jews. And we're doing that because it's an extension. We are an extension of that. Scripture says, those who bless Israel are blessed. Look, we could bless a lot of different places, and we do. Why Israel? That was a question you need to ask God. I don't know, but he chose Israel. And we would not be here. I don't see redeemers being here had it not been for those disciples in Jerusalem. We're an extension of that. So we're sending our offering back. You don't just read it, but you're mindful of what the Holy Spirit puts on your mind to, to be applied in your life. To end today, I just want to show you a video of what it looks like to hunger for God's word. Check this out. That is a picture or video footage of an underground church in China finally receiving a Bible for themselves. Did you hear what they said? This is what we needed the most. We've gone this whole time without the book for ourselves, and we finally got it. And they're weeping because they finally got what we have 44 translations of. And we can get on Amazon, and we got, book, we got Bible after Bible in our house. How is it that they can be weeping for what we walk by almost on a daily basis? Here's why. Because the book of Amos prophesied that there would be a day in the land where no one could come across the word of God, and people would be desperately wanting it. In China, there are brothers and sisters that are just grabbing pages of the Bible and reading them over and over and over again because that's all that they have. So is the word of God less relevant in our culture or are they the ones that are actually right? Because where would I go you have the word of eternal life. The invitation to follow Jesus was an invitation to come and learn, to be a disciple that owns their role and responsibility, to understand and discover what Jesus was actually saying. Will you stand with me? If I could have the prayer teams to come forward. Donnie, you're in construction, right? What is the last thing that you want to do when you come home after being in construction? Probably construction. Let me be totally vulnerable. 
one of the last things I want to do sometimes is study the Bible after I've studied the Bible for days on end. I just don't want to do it anymore. I love Jesus, and I love God's word. But when you feel like that's all you do, that's the last thing you want to do. But there are ebbs and flows just like in your life. There are days and seasons where you love reading it, and there are days and seasons when you feel like you're getting nothing out of it. I'm in the same boat. And there's always a temptation to make that time sitting in that chair about prepping, prepping another sermon for Sunday morning just so I can get it out of the way. And I have to fight to make that time just a time for me to feed myself and say, I'm not reading this for Sunday morning. If I was reading it for Sunday morning, Sean, I would be projecting and performing in front of you professional intimacy. And what that would make me is a prostitute who's just performing for you. I have to guard it myself. And so here's my prayer. If you're in the room and you've just been tired, maybe you've been in one of those wilderness dryness seasons where you haven't opened it up for a while, and you're like, man, I've been stirred this morning. I want to do that. I want to pray that God would give you increased hunger. Let me just say this. You don't get more hungry by not eating. You get hungry by eating. Because once your appetite gets satisfied, you'll want more. Two, I want to pray that God would give you the ability to understand what you've not been able to understand before. And three, I want to pray that God would actually give you the discipline to apply it. To not just read it, but to walk it out and to apply it. So I'm just going to pray. And last but not least, if you're with us this morning and you have never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want to give you that opportunity. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in the room today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, this has been the first time you've been to church in a long time, maybe you've never made the decision, regardless, maybe you've made the decision, but you've been playing games and it's like, oh, man, I need to wake up and I really need to be to be a disciple, not just a believer. I want to give you that opportunity. So simple. Number one, you just recognize that you're not where you need to be. And two, you choose to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the son of God, the king of kings, Lord of lords. He came and died on a cross. And when he did that, he wasn't just like any other person being crucified. He carried the weight of the world, the sin of the world on his shoulders. And he did it that we might have forgiveness before God. And then he showed that we have eternal life when we put our faith, faith in him by being raised from the dead three days later. By the way, he appeared to over 500 people when he did that. It's recorded in scripture. So if you're in this room, you believe that. And you want to confess with your mouth 
today that he would be your Lord and Savior. Will you just lift your hand up real quick so I can see? This is not for me. This is for him. Thank you. This is not for me. This is for him. So let's, let's all join in and say this. Jesus, today I give you my life. I open my heart to be led by you. I acknowledge the sin in my life where I've missed the mark. And I believe through your death and your resurrection, I have forgiveness before God. And I place my trust in you. And I confess today with my mouth that I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Lead me and guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. And as I pray, if you want to come forward for any of those, increased hunger, ability to understand, or the discipline to apply it, I want you to see one of the prayer teams, not just for that, but for anything that's going on in your life. Father, we just come to you this morning. And Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not just be disciples that move beyond belief, but we would move to serving. And God, beyond that, we would move to studying. We would be students of your teaching. We would not be people that are just taught, but we would be people that learn, that own our role and our responsibility to dig deeper, to study, to ask questions, and not just so we know more, but God, that we have a greater heart, that we're transformed from the inside and out, and God, that as we read, we would apply what we hear and what we see, Lord. I pray that we would not be those who hear but do not listen, who see but do not understand, but God, that we would be the disciples that walk with you, that follow you to come and learn. We thank you for Redeemer's Church being a house of discipleship that was founded by a true disciple and continued by a true disciple. God, we thank you. We give you praise for this house and for these people. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.